since you're a political comic, I, I am curious, like how you made that move from doing comedy, right? To now yeah. you're a person who people look to for <laughs> opinions yeah. and advice about politics and not, and not even necessarily you, but like the, your, the content that you create, yeah. you know, where it's quote unquote, and I'm saying this with the, with the biggest, strongest scare quotes possible, you're taken seriously. Yeah, no. Now. It's funny. I find myself in a position now where I feel like I'm struggling to be taken funny. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. It's Stuck with Damon Young, the show where we reflect, rethink, rebuild, and revise because that's just what we do here. Like, there's not even a joke here for real. Only the wackest of the whack niggas believe that they're finished products. And we ain't that. So, anyway, on on today's show, we're joined by Emmy Award-winning comedian, director, producer, and cultural critic W. Kamel Bell for a long and sprawling conversation about writing and creating and having a willingness and the capacity to change and revise and basically just evolve. I'm especially curious with how the landscape and zeitgeist shift in events we've experienced over the last decade. Namely, the Trump presidency, Me Too, the pandemic, and the summer of George Floyd affected his work, and we talk about that too. And then, award-winning poet and author Kamon Felix helps me answer a question from a presumably white person who wants to know if it's fine for them to use dark skin emoji. All right, y'all. Let's get it. W. Kamel Bell is the host of the CNN series, United States of America. He is also the director of the forthcoming documentary, 1000% Me, Growing Up Mix, which you will be able to find on HBO Max. Kamel, what's good, man? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm at the age where I say things like I'm above ground. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at that age, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a man, older brother, who lives in my neighborhood. And I see him from time to time. And I remember one day I asked him how he was doing. And he said, it's better to be seen than viewed. Ooh, ooh, that's, that's, that's some old, that's some old yeah. man wisdom right there. Is he the originator of all black slang? Are we finding <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you always wonder just... where it comes from. Is it him? Yeah. So I need your help. All right. I need your help with something. I'm here. Whatever you need. I need need your help with something. All right. Six years ago, I went to my 20-year high school reunion. All right. And I've spoken about this before. In the context of I went to a reunion, had a decent time. But one thing that stood out to me was you had some people who were dressed as if it was still 1997. Mm -hmm. Right? With like Carl Kanai and like baggy hockey jerseys and Timberlands or whatever and dress how you want to dress yeah do whatever you want to do that's fine but i would use that story as like an analogy about politics mm-hmm. and where i didn't want to be the nigga whose politics stopped in 1997 yep yep you know we still continue to evolve and yep you know as time goes on but one thing i haven't really shared out loud about that experience is that i wrote a thing about it for vsb for very smart brothers and I wrote it with my usual little snark, mm-hmm. little humor. With the quotables, like a rap song. I yeah, know it was you some do. quotables. It was a, I thought it was a fun piece, but yeah. there was a Facebook group about this reunion. And this piece made it to the Facebook group. Yeah. 
and they were not happy (laughs) (laughs) with this. They were unhappy. Yep. (laughs) And of course, in the moment, I'm like, man, fuck y'all. This is just, this is what I do. I didn't go in. This was fun. This was funny, et cetera. But in hindsight, they did not deserve Mm -hmm. that. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, again, I didn't go in like I I, I didn't. I, I remember how I wrote it and I didn't go in. Yeah. in. But, but they just didn't jokes. know they were showing up uh, to end up on the Internet, on the blogosphere of a very popular website. They didn't sign up to be content. Yeah. Right. And so that's one of the many things I've written over the past that I if I had to do it again, mm-hmm. I would probably write it differently. Mm-hmm. You know, as a person who's been a public comedian, a public face, a public performer. For so long, you know, I'm curious what your relationship is to like, not necessarily regret, mm-hmm. but like revision. Things that you did or said that you wish if you had an opportunity to do it again, you would have done differently. I mean, yeah, there's no end of that. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's things where I'm like, man, I wish I could delete that from the surface of, you know, I could men in black it from people. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wish I could do that. And there's things where it's like, I think differently about that. I wouldn't do it that way, but that is how I thought then, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think I think sometimes we want to like men in black everything, but I think also evolving of how we think is a part of the process. It sounds like to me what you did is like, if you'd had a moment when you were writing it where you had thought to yourself, what if the people at the party read this? You might've like, maybe not deleted it, but you would have shifted some things. And so I think that like, I am always sort of aware now who are the audience of haters <laughs> and who are the audience of, of appreciators. And at some point you go, well, if the haters hate it, that is what it is. But if some of you I'd like to appreciate it, hate it, then is there something I could have done differently? And sometimes the answer is like, no, <laughs> like it's just like, it just, you know, I think we live in a time where think about if you had written that in, let's go, let's pretend it's 40 years ago. And you wrote that for time magazine. You know, like, you know, you never would have heard from your faith. They just would have talked to each other at the at the Rite Aid mm-hmm. back in the day. They just would have run into <laughs> each other at the Rite Aid. Did you see that thing in Time Magazine? It never would have come across your desk. Now we live in a time where, like, you're going to have instant feedback. And so, mm-hmm. you know, some of that means that, like, you're going to hear from people who don't like it. But it's hard because you're always going to hear from people who don't like it. I just try to make sure it's the people who don't like it who I want to not like it. But it is hurtful when the people don't like it. We're like, I thought you were the audience, you know. Well, and you brought up two really really great points that I want to dig into a bit more. One is the concept of, you know, I don't mind offending people. Yeah. You have to go in on people sometimes. Yeah. But what you don't want to do is unintentionally offend yeah. people. Yeah. Like you don't want to hurt people that you didn't intend. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to disrespect people that you didn't intend to disrespect. For sure. Right. Uh, and that sometimes takes a sensitivity read, you know, revision, editing, mm-hmm. perspective, hindsight, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, to, to prevent you from any sort of collateral damage yeah right and to your point also i think a lot of us have this idea of wanting to men in black yeah right things that we might have done or might have written in the past that we don't necessarily want to still exist but there is a value in something existing as like a capsule yeah and time Mm -hmm. where you could see oh this is how i felt and i don't feel this way anymore Mm -hmm. but in 2016 2012 mm-hmm. 2020 yeah this is what i was thinking this is how i felt yeah and i think there's also a value of like a body of work that while you may zoom in on pieces and go Ugh, that the body of work is actually bigger than those individual pieces that the body of work is pulling in a direction that is like well 
there are moments in this that are not good or that are or that are mm-hmm. regressive or that I think differently. You know, we can't all put out like thinking about like Jimi Hendrix, three albums and be like, I'm done. It's all genius. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm. Like most of us, we only put out three albums. It's going to be like, that's all you got. <laughs> you know, so, or, you know, so I feel like I'm not Jimi Hendrix. So I got to put out a lot of things and hope that the body of work speaks to a, some sort of overlying truth or overlying aesthetic that uh, if I just put out one comedy CD back in the day <laughs> called, called one <laughs> called one night only or one nigga only, depending on how you read it, uh, that that would not have been enough. Yeah, my all-time favorite album was probably Ghostface, Supreme Pontel. It's, it's either that or Kanye's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. And there are songs on both of those albums that I just don't listen to when I listen to them. Yeah. You know? yeah. There are comedians who, in their day, were progressive thinkers that if you listen to them now, they are regressive thinkers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where cancellation culture comes in bad. It's like If you don't understand the context of where that comedian was at that time— it's going to look backwards, but really it's like in that context, that was a, that was a progressive thought that comic had. Well, I'm, I'm also curious for your, like your own personal experience with this dynamic. Like, is there any, anything recently, let me qualify anything within like the last five or six years that, you know, you look back on now, it's like, you know what, if I had a chance to do that again, maybe, maybe I would shift it. Maybe I would do it differently. I mean, it's funny because there are moments in every piece of work that I've put out <laughs> maybe ever where I'm like, ah, uh, that didn't land. I, I don't, there's times you're like, I don't think that was wrong, but it certainly didn't seem to land the way I thought it was going to land. So if I'd known that I would have shifted that. Deal. I don't think there's anything that I've ever done. I mean, from things I've won awards for to things that like only three people saw that I'm not like, that I'm not in some way wrestling with. And even thinking about it makes my sort of stomach start to churn over. Uh, you know, I wrote a whole chapter of my book about a bit I did on my first album that I'm like, Ugh, you know, that it was basically like an apology. <laughs> like, like, to like, So I'm not against like when I hear people say comics never apologize. I'm like, well, if, they, if the comic happens to be a human, then I think sometimes you can apologize. I think and also I think comics often you often have to apologize or feel put in a position to apologize because you because you want to keep whatever gig you have at the time that doesn't care about your freedom of speech. You know, do you mind sharing? <laughs> It was a bit about Condoleezza Rice that conflated my disagreement with her politics with her physical appearance. Okay. That at the time it felt like an edgy joke for a comedian to do. And it was whatever edgy. And it was, I'm not trying to say it was ba- back then. I'm not doing that, but it conflated those two things. Like I don't agree with your politics with, I don't agree with your physical appearance, which is not a thing that I would, that within five years of that joke, I was like, Oh yeah, that was a mistake. Like, there are many jokes to get off about her politics that have nothing to do with whatever I think, you know, and it, and, and I'm not sitting here like, uh, well, you know, people describe me as a mix between Denzel Washington Young and Shamar Moore. No. So I don't I'm in no position to tell anybody anything about their looks. So, uh, yeah. So that was that was and I wrote a I wrote a whole chapter in my book uh, apologizing for it because it was just like it's it just was like of all the things I've done, that's the one where I was like that's just not who I am. But at the time, not, I'm just not an excuse. This is an explanation. At the time I was a young comic in the club trying to make some hay mm-hmm. and I hadn't made any hay and I started to go a political direction and I saw hay in that direction, but I didn't <laughs> understand how to cut that hay. Like I said, I am a person who I'm an only child. So I'm in my head all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, and I always, and I, and <laughs> I'm a person who walks down the street and will remember a thing that was embarrassing and suddenly I have to stop and take a knee like, Ooh, like from the past. <laughs> I mean, we're just we're the same person because asking this question, yeah. like everything, motherfucker, like yeah, every yeah. single There's, thing I've ever written, every every one of these podcasts I've ever produced, 
Like I just had that conversation with my producer. You just have to get used to this. He's gonna, he's gonna hear me. it. He's I'm not. I'm never gonna be happy. This, with this is anything. what working with me is. Yes, this is yes. just like yeah. I'm never gonna be satisfied. So yeah. you just gotta take that with a grain of salt. Welcome to the actual. Your actual job description is dealing with my dissatisfaction, <laughs> not actually editing and producing the show. Well, I think this is a great, you know, I guess bit of a veer because I think that that thing that you have that I have that many of the writers and comedians I admire have, mm-hmm. right? It's a dynamic, a psychology, or even like a consciousness that makes you, I'm not going to say it makes you foolproof from quote unquote cancel culture, but it makes you more equipped to deal with potential blowback. Because you're always canceling yourself. Because you're always canceling yourself. Because you always know that, you know what, shit, you might be right. Mm-hmm. You know, this criticism that you have of my work, mm-hmm. this blind spot that I might have, you might be right now. It might hurt, mm-hmm. you know, to, to get that criticism in a moment. But there are people and again, a lot of people who I admire who have that gene where it's like, you know what? Shit, I need to change. I need to yeah. evolve. I need to reevaluate. Whereas you have people who are so determined mm-hmm. not to give an inch. Yeah. So determined not to change. And it's like. I don't know. What is your what what are your thoughts on that as someone who I get has been a stand-up, has done comedy, and now is creating these shows, and obviously you know a lot of these people who are in this industry. And I'm just curious, like from an insider. I think that I it's funny when sometimes when I see either peers of mine or people who I'm friendly with or people who I just know and that I don't know but observe their career in the business, especially when these people are black folks, people of color indigenous folks sometimes i'm like you have like the position that we have in this business is black folks people of color is this twofold position of like make a thing that people like but also (laughs) dismantle white supremacy while you do it Mm -hmm. whereas like white folks just get to make a thing they like and so sometimes i will see people get pushback over things that i am like while i get that the pushback is legitimate on some level you have no idea how hard it is for that person to get to that door, go to those meetings, uphold their creative vision, hire the people they want to hire and sort of navigate all that. And I think sometimes we are doing so much behind the closed doors that we can't mm-hmm. really complain about out loud because it looks like then you're like you're you're winning and complaining like, man, mm-hmm. winning is so complicated <laughs> like that. <laughs> That it just makes sense that you would sometimes miss things because you were because you're just doing too much. You know what I mean? Like you're like you're like walking the tightrope and balancing plates while as like a white creator. The tightrope is a foot wide and they don't have the plates. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I feel about like when I see peers of mine get pushed back on things. Not that I'm saying those things are illegitimate, but it's just like I feel like, man, you have no idea how hard it is for that person to even hold that position. Yeah. And it's, you know, you saying that kind of contradicts the general narrative about cancel culture, particularly what's coming from like white men mm-hmm. where they feel like they can't say or do any, the, the ones who complain about this. Stop like they it. I mean, they you know. do anything, whereas they're the ones who have more rope. If you can't say stuff, it's because nobody trusts you to say that thing. It's just, it's just quite simple. It's because if you feel like, I feel like sometimes it's like, like, for example, there are comedians who will be on stage later tonight, white men saying awful things, racist things, sexist things, <laughs> transphobic things, and they'll be like, come back, I'll be here all week. And they will be there all week. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, because, <laughs> because on some level, they have established that this is what I'm here to do, and I'm going to do that thing. 
and I've built up an audience for it, so I will get paid for it. So, like, it's, it's, mm-hmm. so if you as a white man find you can't say that thing, maybe it's because you're president of a corporation where they don't want that to be their brand as you saying whatever you want to say. You know, in your career, I guess there are three major, you know, political events that have happened that I think have shifted the way people think and the way people write, particularly people who mm-hmm. work in publishing, work in comedy, work on TV, work in any capacity that has to do with writing, mm-hmm. right? Trump's win, yeah, right? That that completely shifted mm-hmm. um, political landscape. I, I think that for good reason, people who consider themselves on the left, I think, have had to become more combative mm-hmm. with, with what we do, with what we say. Now, I, I think we probably should have been more that way anyway, mm-hmm. but that 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 election just made everything just more, just so much more immediate. Yes. So much more palpable. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Me too. Yeah. Also, you know, has shifted the way that, that people interact, the way that we do, the way that we work, the way, the way that, you know, we receive, you know, our comedy. And then also obviously the pandemic mm-hmm. too. Um, And I'm wondering, you know, and all this has happened. And then I would add one for it, George Floyd's murder. Well, you know, I was thinking of Floyd and I was wondering, like, if that was distinct enough from, like, Trump. I think it was because I think the current pushback that we're getting with woke and anti-CRT is a direct result of the quote-unquote racial reckoning of Floyd. And I think that is something we will be reckoning with for years, you know what I mean? Like, it's going to inform a lot of who the next president is so i i think of the pandemic as being a one-two punch it was the lockdown there was it was covid and then it was floyd which were two things that revealed america not being the thing that it said claimed it was to be now i i don't say floyd is like because we came to a new racial understanding and we all da, da, da. Mm-hmm. i say because of the fact that when we <laughs> when when black folks went out and marched with people of different races there were people there were people on the right wing and some on the left who were like how do we fight back against this? And they went deep, deep, deep in fighting back against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was thinking Floyd, and I, I think I misspoke earlier um, and, and saying how it was distinct from Trump. What I meant to say really was how Floyd, if you trace back, might have even been an extension of Obama hysteria. Um, and, and some of this stuff, you know, the reaction to to wokeness and mm-hmm. the banning of the books and all of that, that. I mean, the seeds have always been there because it's always been America. Yeah, right? I, mean, I feel like it's like that, it's that meme that always sunny in Philadelphia meme of like the guy looking at the thing. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's, like it, it's all connected. <laughs> but like the new batch of seeds was planted in 2008, I think. And now I think they are starting to bloom. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see shit that, again, these grievances mm-hmm. that have really weaponized, you know, and and that particular, you know, thing is what led to the weaponization. But what I wanted to ask you is that with all of this shit that has happened while you are in, you know, the midst of your career, how has it impacted your work particularly? <laughs> so when, <laughs> when I was making the... Uh... The Bill Cosby documentary, we need to talk about Cosby. Mm-hmm. Every now and again, I would say to like producers or, you know, editors like, man, I sure would like to make a documentary about how tasty noodles are because <laughs> I don't think I'm allowed to. Uh-huh. I don't think I and I don't think I would feel responsible to myself if I was doing that. But I think what it means is that everything I do has to, again, as we talked about earlier, has to in some way address white supremacy even if it's trying to have a good time, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm not saying everybody's like this. I'm talking about me. I think there is certainly plenty of black, 
but I even that's true. Even like when black folks make things that are just supposed to be fun, you will then see a think piece or 12,000 that are like, okay, even though we're having fun, why baba 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 you know what i mean yeah so i think for me what it is is like i was a kid who wanted to be a comedian because of eddie murphy on snl and i wanted to sort of like one day i'm going to become a stand-up comedian and i'm gonna get on snl and da 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 my career path didn't go that way and it feels like it gets further and further away from that every day (laughs) and while i'm not going to sit here and say i don't have a good time sometimes and that i am proud of the work i make and that i do have fun even in making it even when it's about difficult things and i try to figure out ways to bring humor into it i feel like i'm not in a position to pitch something that for example that netflix would put in the background television category (laughs) like you know the whatever that or they call slow tv where it's just tv to have on when you're just in your house uh doing some house chores Mm -hmm. you know i don't i'm not in a position (laughs) where i can do that even though i would be i think i'd be great at that well yeah i i i agree that there is like an increased expectation of like not just for your work to be political and not not just you but i'm thinking you in a collective yeah not just an expectation of your work to be political, but also for it to be politically rigorous mm-hmm. too. Yes. Yeah. Like for your politics to be airtight, right? You've um, never seen me come out with anything about like, and that's why we got to support the Democratic Party. Yeah, you know, because <laughs> like, yeah. that's not politically rigorous. Yeah, you, it's it's just today, you know, and there are certain things like okay, for instance, my kids recently went to a uh, Pittsburgh Pirates game, right? And um, at the game, they were giving away hats. Memorial Day weekend's coming, et cetera, et cetera. So they're like military-themed powered hats. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. 10 years ago, maybe I don't have an issue with this, but yeah. now I feel a way about my kids walking around with mm-hmm. these hats that they love, these free hats that they love. But the Pittsburgh Pirate P underneath the P is like an American flag. Yeah. And... I would have thought twice about that 10 years ago. But now it's like, is this people in the city know who I am? And because they know who I am, they know who yep, 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 some, yep, some yep. people know who my kids are. Yep, and it's yep. like, oh, that's what he's doing. This is, a, this is a statement. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, to your point about the expectation of political rigor, having something that is devoid of politics, even though that's nearly impossible, no, but it's impossible. making that effort is also a statement. If you are a black American right now, I was tempted to say POC, but I don't want to speak for other POC for sure, for sure. the way I can for the black experience. But I know that if you're a black creative and you try to remove politics from your work, then that will be seen as an insertion mm-hmm. of politics. Yeah. Because to be apolitical now means that you have taken a side. Yeah, I remember like I think about this all the time. I, I for, for some reason, I feel like Issa Rae's uh, career is just like it's if I was a, if I was a PhD person I would do a PhD on Issa Rae's career because I think there's just so much to be learned as what black creatives have to go through in America through this country through America through her career and also how she has navigated in a way that is like you know she's having a hall of fame career is I like to mm-hmm. you know and this and so I remember at one point there was sort of critique around the show around black people on the show not using condoms that you know, you know where that came from. Where you <laughs> came from? Came, not from me, but I came from a very smart. Brother. That came from one of our writers. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. And Issa, and Issa had a, and Issa in an interview, um, actually name dropped. Oh, the article writer, mm-hmm. everything. 
it was a thing. Ooh, okay. So I, we, didn't, I, we didn't write it. I didn't, I didn't write it, but I, I, know, but I published I, it. I, I had no idea. It's funny. When I started to bring it up, I was like, this is so random. Apparently, it was not random. <laughs> it's not random. Apparently, everything, I'm a genius. Everything is connected. Everything is connected, yes. Everything is connected. So, and here's the thing. So, this, I'm not trying to go at the writer. Let me be clear about that. Because it was like, I was in this position of like, I get what this critique is about. Also, Issa Rae just wants to make a show about people who live the way people live. And isn't trying to like necessarily insert a public service announcement into the middle of the show. Mm-hmm. But I think as a black person, again, you're tasked with not that like wearing condoms is a way to dismantle whites. Maybe, you know, I don't know how that, but it, you're, you're tasked with a responsibility that white creatives aren't tasked with. Yeah. So I was like, I get that we want people to wear, to practice safe sex. I get that. I'm not, I get that we want black people to practice safe sex specifically. I get that. But I also thought like, in that writer's room when they're writing that show, I understand why they would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who, where yeah. do we insert and, the condom putting on? And I mean, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of like girls, the, the show yeah. on HBO. Yes. They it, had, they had literal ass eating scenes. Yeah. On no, that show. Just, that, that, that was a big thing. And I don't think anyone was, she, she didn't have a dental dam. Yeah. <laughs> she was, oh, she was, she was nose deep in that ass. I mean, <laughs> right. let me be clear. I did not watch it. I don't know if I saw a whole episode of Girls All the Way Through. Uh, my my wife, I think, saw the whole series. I, as people know, I'm married to a white woman, so that would be a thing. She, you know, she was in that thing, but in in watching it. But like, I remember when there was a creek around blackness. Like Donald Glover, didn't he just sort of like airdrop in and airdrop out just to sort of go, let's just get this out of the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've that that part like that that expectation that white creatives, yeah. you know what I mean, insert blackness yeah. you know into what they're doing it's like i want them to create a, a world that is real to them mm-hmm. and if that world that is real to them doesn't include us that's fine mm-hmm. what's not fine is when black people don't get the same opportunities to create sure you know what i mean that you know lena dunham you know maybe maybe has has received that's the issue yeah. but Whatever she decides to do with her opportunity is what she decides to do with her opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, um, also for you, you know, and you've made a conscious, you know, intentional decision to be a political comment, right? Yeah, for sure. And so have you felt like like everyone today who is a black comic is kind of a political comic. Like, yeah. are you, do you, do you feel like, you know what? I didn't, I didn't fight all you niggas in the building. You need to start to start trying to elbow people who are trying to like, you know, this is my thing. This is my thing. My I lane. was here by myself. Yeah, I yeah, made yeah. a choice when yeah. it wasn't as popular. Yeah, when, no, when I had like a major Hollywood uh, management company be like, there's no money in that. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, no bad ideas in a brainstorm. I always say, so if you got a political point to make and I'm with it, even though if you normally, juggle fine you know what i mean so like because i do know that like when i choose to do stand-up comedy it is clearly different from whatever other people's examples of it are so i think for me it's just like it's all it is is a challenge to me to like deepen my approach and get more specific because whatever i might have been doing 10 years ago is not the same level of political as it would be now so uh yeah it's just like it's just it's more like not i'm not comparing myself in any way i'm just making a fun analogy it's like when michael jordan's like Huh, I think I need to turn around fade away. <laughs> like, you know, like what I was doing before is not gonna is not accomplishing the same thing. So let me get a turnaround fade away so I can actually then still be just as good, but in a different way. Always need to add to that bag. You need yeah. a deeper bag. Yeah. yeah. And I think even like 
becoming a director and the producers a way to go, how do I get the content out here that I want to get out here without being wedded to stand-up comedy as a way to do it? Well, you know, since you're a political comic, I, I am curious, like, how you made that move from doing comedy, right, to now yeah. you're a person who people look to for... <laughs> opinions and yeah. advice about politics and not and not even necessarily you but like the your, the content that you create work, yeah you know where it's quote unquote and i'm saying this with the with the biggest strongest scare quotes possible you're taken seriously yeah no now it's funny i find myself in a position now where i feel like i'm struggling to be taken funny <laughs> like people have no problem <laughs> taking me seriously um it's interesting. I have seen the way people approach me in the street or if I'm in the airport, what they say has changed over time. Mm -hmm. So initially it's like, oh, my God, you're so funny from like you're doing stand. I'm on doing stand up. I'm doing podcasts, whatever. And then it became for a while. It was like, you're the KKK guy. <laughs> like it was the, I was the guy who met the KKK. Mm -hmm. And now the number one thing I hear from people and I hear and I, I hear it when I'm with my kids. So I really hear because I'm looking at them hearing this is thank you for your work. As if I'm some sort of like essential worker, first responder, you know what I mean? Like, just thank you for your work, you know? And I find that to be interesting because it says to me that like, again, it's about the body of work and it's not the direction I thought I was heading. But the thing I do know about me is I'm always headed my own direction. Like, so I, so I can't be surprised about where, like, how did I not end up on Saturday Night Live? It's like, Negro, you weren't headed towards Saturday Night Live and you know that. So for me, I think it starts with my mom, like growing up in that post civil rights era and right after the post, like really like, you know, right post civil rights in the early seventies. And I was an only child and my mom didn't always have babysitting money. So I was always hearing conversations about the struggle and the post civil rights struggle to like, wait, aren't we supposed to be succeeding now? Why aren't we succeeding? Why aren't we all succeeding? You know, that was sort of the post racial era, I think was post uh, the civil rights era. Mm -hmm. And I think in some way, and also see my mom was a self-starter, published her own books of black quotations. I didn't realize that my mom was basically saying, like, your responsibility, no matter what you do, is to dismantle white supremacy. <laughs> so she prepared <laughs> me for this moment. So while I was like a young comedian making jokes, I was also figuring out how to work race, race commentary into it. Then I moved to the Bay. That expanded my whole political perspective. I moved here to do stand-up. Didn't know I really moved here to, like, go to grad school in, in humanity. Mm -hmm. And I'm always pretty clear about what I don't want to do. So I realized and then figuring out, well, if I'm not going to do that, I got to do something else. So when I realized I don't want to move to L.A. and start auditioning for commercials and movies like my friends are doing, not that there's anything wrong with that. I just knew that life was going to destroy me. And I just started to like, well, what do I want to do? I want to write a whole show about racism, which was the W. Kamel Bell curve ending racism in about an hour. And that show sort of put me on a path of like theater festivals and not stand up comedy clubs. Mm hmm. And then that show is the show that Chris Rock saw that helped me. Chris Rock is essential to me getting my first TV show. But then after that show was canceled, Totally Biased, which was my first TV show. Again, I found myself like now the industry knows me as a black comic who has a read on politics. And that sort of set me up perfectly to go to CNN. And they go, we got Anthony Bourdain, but we would like to figure out if there's more versions of this. As a young man who'd been sitting on my girlfriend's couch, who's now my wife, watching Bourdain going, how do you get that job? I was like, I can't like it's sort of like. I was always aimed towards that, even if I didn't know I was. And then you find yourself in positions where I found myself in a position where I met good people who were like, you should direct something. And I was like, but I don't know how to direct. And they'll go, we'll figure it out. Like being around people who felt like, I know you have a perspective in here. I'm going to teach you the nuts and bolts of this because the perspective is actually the key part of this. And so once I started to get a taste for that, I really was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, so 
I feel like I was always sort of headed here as a kid who would like in the early 70s, my mom would be like, sit down, we're watching Eyes on the Prize. <laughs> but, but this is boring. <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> you know. And my mom's like, sit down, we're watching Roots. And I mean, the old school one with, with you know, OJ Simpson was in. I don't want to do this. It's boring. We're doing this. So there was just a sense of like my mom, like really putting me in front of content like that, that now I sort of feel like, oh, so I was I was in school and didn't even know it. So I have a question for you. Yes. Um, you've heard the I'm so thankful for your work. Thank you. Yeah. You've heard that. Yeah. And you've also at some point in your career also have heard uh, you are so funny. Mm hmm. Oh wow! This this bit that you had, this thing that you said. Oh, it was the. Mm -hmm. Which do you prefer? I mean, I gotta admit, I I love my thank you for my work, but this is so funny is the one that actually makes me feel <laughs> like alive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not mad at thank you for your work, but this is so funny is actually the thing that makes you go yeah, like you know, yeah. it, it's like the, I don't know, it's like the quick hit. Thank you for your work is like the drug that hits you slowly, like the mushroom, <laughs> but like, but this is so funny is like a quick endorphin rush because making somebody laugh. I was talking to my kids actually in the car about this. Like my daughter said, this is, so I'm gonna tell a story about my cute, funny kid. Here we go. It's okay, we've already brought it. It's fine, it's fine. We're both, we're parents. So we, we went yesterday, over the weekend, we went to this uh, indoor, I don't know if I wanna advertise it, but indoor water park in, Calif in Northern California. Okay. And it's like a target, but with water slides. It's this that kind of people. <laughs> like it's just, you know, the, and so we're walking, we're doing, see, we gotta go on this thing, we gotta go over here. And my oldest daughter yesterday, as we were getting ready to go, goes, Dada, you know how sometimes I say I can't take you anywhere because everybody always recognizes you? I said, yeah. She goes, well, I think I can take you here because nobody had recognized me over the whole weekend. <laughs> Cause it's this water park in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, California. And uh -huh. it was not my demographic. <laughs> like it was not my, <laughs> and so, and so she was like, I think I can take you here. And she was okay. sort of her way of saying, nobody has recognized you. And she didn't say that part. She just said, I think I can take you here. And I laughed out loud. Cause it was such a like funny, <laughs> clever turn of phrase. And then my wife later was like in the car is funny how my family goes, man, nobody knew who you were at that place. And, and I go, Sammy, tell mama what you said to me. And she said it. And Melissa laughed. I think I can take you here. And Sammy goes, why is that funny? And I go, wait, do you mean you don't know why we're laughing? Or you literally want to know why it is funny? And mm -hmm. she said, I, she's like, I know you're laughing because I said something that I was trying. I was like, were you trying to be funny? She's like, sort of. I was like, were you trying to be clever? She goes, yeah. I go, OK, well, clever can sometimes equal funny. But if you want to know, I can tell you why it is funny. And I explained sort of how humor works to her in a very sort of short, abridged way. And that thing, knowing that you've done that math equation is super satisfying when you when somebody laughs what you say, because it means you've like successfully done the math equation. Yeah, like I, I prefer that, too. I prefer yeah. the, you know, the funny, like even with my bulk, like the the acknowledgments that I've received for being funny. Yeah, they supersede the the oh, this was important and this, you know, is vital and, you know, all, all that. It's like, yes, thank you for that. But when you say it's funny, it's basically the difference between being like a conscious rapper from the yeah. 90s or being Eminem. <laughs> like, and it's like, thank you for your work. Again, I appreciate that. But, you know, you could say that to like a service animal, basically. Like, you, yeah. could, you could say thank you. Thank you for thank you. You yes, say it thank to Sisyphus you, thank every you. day. Thank yes, you for getting the rock you. up the Thank hill. Thank you, Fire Hydrant, for working when we needed you. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. All right. Um, so what you got going on? I know you have this documentary um that you are working yeah. on can you tell me a bit about that 
Yeah, so the new doc is out on HBO Max right now, which I guess will be Max soon. But <laughs> when I did it, it was HBO Max called A Thousand Percent Me Growing Up Mixed. And it features my oldest daughter, her, my middle kid, and my youngest daughter sort of in and out through the back. But they, my youngest daughter and my middle kid talk, Sammy and Juno. And some of Sammy's friends are in it, who, and it's all mixed-race kids talking about their experience. And then we talk to some of their family. So sometimes it's their parents, sometimes it's siblings, sometimes it's like with my kids, we don't talk to me and my wife. We talk to their grandmothers, my mom and my wife's mom, sit down and have a conversation about race when they grew up, about how it was when they grew up. And, and then we talk to some mixed-race adults and elder in the community to talk about the mixed-race experience. And really, it's funny. It's the closest to a noodle doc that I've ever done because it's really like, I want it to be lyrical and hopeful in a way that my work is not normally lyrical and hopeful. Did you interview any members of the Golden State Warriors? Because I feel like that is the most <laughs> light-skinned team of all time. And, and, and presumably, it is a presumably team. mixed. It's funny, but some yeah, of those light-skinned yeah, two black, mixed, two light at least not the way players. we... Yeah, it's, you know... Yeah, there's just, yeah so it's like, it's that... Su- it's, mixed race in the South means something different. It doesn't mean the same thing it means on the coast and in the North. Thank you for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No doubt. Up next for Dear Damon, I'm joined by award-winning poet and author Kamon Felix, who helps me advise a person who wants to know if using dark skin emoji is racially problematic. <laughs> but first, Damon hates. Okay, there's a dynamic that exists. It's a recurring thing that exists in my neighborhood. Well, I'll be sitting on my stoop and people will walk past on the sidewalk. And it's always white people. It is literally always white people who do this. They'll be walking past. And my house is somewhat distinct. Okay, it doesn't look like the rest of the houses in the neighborhood. It's a it's a new build. It was built in 2018. We were the first people to live in it. And it has a distinct look. We know that. But these people will walk by and they will start inspecting my house. Not necessarily peering inside the windows, but just making comments and just acting like they're at a motherfucking museum while I'm like sitting right there. And there have been countless times where I've had to be like, yo, hello, can I help you? And it like it almost shocks them into a response or into reality because it's like they don't even process that it's possible for me to be living here <laughs> you know what I mean it's like I'm sitting on the steps and they don't even see me they see the house and some random nigga sitting on the steps it's like you know what I'm not going to acknowledge a random nigga but this house I have to say a thing or I have to acknowledge it with the person I'm walking with right or maybe I take a picture or maybe I make a comment or maybe I say something and it's like of course, you know, with, with all racial microaggressions, you know, there's always a way that you could say, you, you know, it's not really about race. You know, maybe these people are just really, you know, taken by the house and it's really distinct looking and they just want to comment on that and whatever. And, you know, the first couple times a thing like this happened, maybe you're willing to give a person the benefit of the doubt, but after it's repeated, sort of thing where this happens with multiple white people and it it kind of reminds me back when we used to have a dog and I walked a dog and white people it was always white people would speak to the dog 
but not speaking to me. And if you are a white person who is listening to this, you know, I don't really give nuggets of advice. I, I say that for dear Damon. I don't do this with Damon hates, but stop doing that fucking shit. If you see a black person and you like the black person's child, you like the black person's car, you like the black person's house, you like the black person's dog, acknowledge the person first and then maybe compliment them and then maybe say a thing, but acknowledge the person first. And you know what? You don't have to say anything to me either. Like you don't have to say anything, (laughs) right? You don't have to speak to my child. You don't have to speak to my pet. You don't have to stare at my house. It's just a house. You don't you don't have to make any comment. You could you, you could wait until you're going to wherever you're going. And then you have the conversation with your friend about the thing you just witnessed. The engagement part of it is not necessary. But if you do choose to engage, if you do choose to speak, you need to speak to the motherfucking human that is sitting or standing right there first. Up next for Dear Damon, we're joined by Kamon Felix, whose debut poetry collection, Build Yourself a Boat, was long listed for the 2019 National Book Award. Morgan, the producer, what we got this week? Dear Damon, is it okay for a white person to use the darker skin color emojis? I want to be inclusive, but I don't want to come across as obnoxious. <laughs> so this... <laughs> Kamon, how are you doing today? Um, you know, after this question, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with some of these questions, there are easy answers. Mm-hmm. It's a clear like fuck no or a clear like hell yes. Mm-hmm. With this, what do you think? It's funny. I am in a Slack chat where a person who is non-black, I will not call them white because they do not identify as white, though in pretty much any world they are white, but not not for me to say. Uh, this person is using an emoji that is about my complexion. I saw it and laughed. I think that by itself is an indicator as to whether or not it's appropriate. I feel like it's not appropriate. Like, But also, what is the desire? Like, why do you need to cosplay via emoji? What does that do for you? That's the question, I, I feel like. It's like, yeah. it, it's not whether or not you should use it. It's why. Like, why Why what? do you want? What is the intent behind doing this? I'm also curious about the person you know who doesn't identify as white, even though they're white. Like, how does that actually work? But, you know, I think that, I'm okay, so you have the spectrum of bad shit that can happen. I'm not even going to say microaggressions, but just fucked up shit that can happen to you based on your race, right? Yeah. Spectrum of behavior. This is on the far end of the, okay, whatever, section of the spectrum. It's not, I'm not going to lose any sleep over someone using, I don't know, dark skin emoji when they are, you know, Caucasian, whatever. But it is one of them circumstances where, you know, if, if I were in regular conversation with someone who did that, I would be like, okay, what 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 is ha- what what is happening? Like, are you only using the dark skin emoji because you're talking to me, right? <laughs> and you feel like this is a way of connecting, 
this is this is this is actually you trying to overcorrect where you're not trying to do any microaggressions and you're like you know what i'm talking to damon young totally so maybe 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 since i'm communicating with a black man i'm going to use black emoji that just makes me feel like this is a person who wants to use the n-word extremely badly <laughs> like that that's what it gives it gives i want to say the n-word but i know i'll get dragged so instead i'll just use a black thumbs up <laughs> and the worst part is when the the white person uses like the darker the darkest skin tone that they can find on the gradient scale mm-hmm. like you just for whatever reason like that is that is validating for them to be as black as possible via emoji i don't see the person who wants to say nigga or dick i, I don't i don't see that here yeah I, i'm more i i see the person this is the white person who refers to black people as african-american totally um or or maybe even goes even further and says person of color poc <laughs> where they're just this uh general uncomfortability because mm-hmm. because again i see this i'm seeing this and i'm interpreting this and i could be wrong but i'm interpreting this as someone who is so this tension or this collision of anxiousness and cluelessness mm-hmm. that creates an overcorrection where they do things and you're just like yo what the fuck what just happened i i feel like this isn't necessarily the person who wants to say the n-word Mm-hmm. Right. But this is the person who doesn't just doesn't know how to exist around black people. Yeah. Right. Um, and I've met a couple of those. Well, you I mean, there are a lot of those. Yeah. There are, are a lot of those who are in quote unquote progressive spaces. Yeah. And who show up, who come to the events, who come to the panels, who come to the readings, come to all the things. And then you, you start talking to them. It's like, oh, I am I the first <laughs> black person <laughs> that you've ever met <laughs> before in your life? <laughs> when they're like, well, in the context of by POC, you're like, did you just describe me as a title? Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, they're, they're the people, they, they, they get all of the acronyms right. Yeah, right. of course. But they don't. But the context, the, like there, there's, there's no the contextual way of 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 talking to someone, of mm-hmm. understanding someone, of of just having a a fucking conversation with a person who is black. It's just something that they are, they are incapable of doing. They think themselves out yeah. of it. And yeah, I you know when when I first saw the question, you know, and I didn't necessarily think that this was the sort of person who also wants to say the N word, right. Right. Um, that this didn't come to mind, but that was your first response. Yeah. I think that it's to me, it, it makes sense that it's a person who wants to say the N word. But I feel like there are a couple of different kinds of people who want to say the N word. Right. Like mm-hmm. there's the the like white kid in college who like listens to a lot of Tyler, the creator who like wants to say the N word because it, it he feels like offended that he doesn't get to participate in this way, in the way that like the stars that he cares about participate. Then there's the the white guy. It's always a man. Then there's the white guy who wants to say the N word because he like knows that it's offensive and he like lo- low key likes to piss people off. But then there are the white people who want to say the N word because they feel like language should be an egalitarian 
like offer and that everyone should have the right to use whatever language they want as a way to like equalize and neutralize the negativity of a particular word. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the the white person who like uses a dark skin thumb in the emojis is the same person who thinks that like if everyone could say the N-word, then it would lose its power, you know, like those kinds of people. You know, it's it's funny, like I didn't necessarily gender this question, mm-hmm. but the point that you made about the person who wants to say the N-word is always a male, mm-hmm. where 95% of the time that is true. Yeah. And that's something I didn't necessarily think about until this moment. <laughs> right yeah. where white women for all of the things that you could say they're usually not the usually usually not the ones who are like so pressed to say it and if they do say it they know that they're being subversive sure by saying it they, they know that whereas the white guys like well i'm just repeating rap lyrics or yeah. I'm, I'm just a stand-up comedian and i'm edgy or yeah. or or rather fuck um but this emoji question there wasn't a gender indicated with the question, but I do not think that this was uh, a cis man. I don't think so either. I think the emoji question is almost certainly a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's interesting. Just the, the way that the gender way in, in, in terms of how uh, white people respond to race. Yeah. Right. But but ultimately it's the same thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. both of these genders, which is not to, presume that there are only two genders that should be said but both of these genders what they're showing is that they want to have access to blackness in a way that they do not have access to it and both of them like understand that there's a limitation understand that there's a boundary and like desperately need to get past it to feel like they are living their truth for whatever reason Mm -hmm. right i'm willing to gamble that the person, likely woman, who wants to use a dark skin emoji or is curious about it, I'm willing to gamble that if you asked her why, she would say something around like feeling like she wanted to connect better with the Black people around her, right? Which is a, a question of access. You want to be able to access the mm-hmm. Black people around you uh, in a way that you don't already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get, I mean, I, I, I could see it. And, and again, it brings me back because again, when I'm thinking of like the person at the panel, the person who, you know, has that, that strange question about race, mm-hmm. right? It is 92% of the time. It is a woman who mm-hmm. asked, who asked that question, yeah. right? Who shows up, who, who, who does show up, who has read the book, mm-hmm. but then has like this, this question or this takeaway is just like, wait, what? <laughs> and it just makes you wonder. What planet are you on? <laughs> exactly. What book were you reading? Yes. <laughs> Did we read the same book yes. that you come away with it with such a ridiculous question? Yeah. Yeah. Did you did you read the book that I wrote? Or did you <laughs> did you read another person's book? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, are you familiar with the concept of uh digital blackface? Yes. Okay. And I think this term was coined by Lauren Michelle Jackson. Yes. Um, a few years back about the, the I guess the dynamic where white people use um, use memes online and in other sorts of stand-ins for for language for jokes but they use stuff that is um, that is from black people or darker skinned people 
yeah. um, in place of, of themselves. And would you consider this a form of that? For sure. Okay. I mean, digital blackface, for the most part, is a white person using pretty much any apparatus uh, to like weaponize what is unique to Black people towards their own benefit, towards humor, towards mm-hmm. the desire to connect, et cetera, right? So if you're a white person who says, you know, I'm going to use this particular meme because I just think it's funny, right? Which is always the caveat. I just think it's funny. But the only way that you were able to illustrate the humor that you found was like by using a Black person's image or a Black person's likeness, right? That is not radically different from a person who says, I feel like I need to connect with my friends better. So I'm going to use the Black thumb. Mm -hmm. Either way, right? There's a process of trying to interact with Blackness by a, like by interacting in a way that like you actually can't that's not available to you well it's it's a superficial interaction it's this sort Correct. of interaction that you know that possesses the, like the veneer of like community and the veneer mm-hmm. of actual engagement when it's just it's a stand in mm-hmm. it's a it's a symbol mm-hmm. it's like a a peace sign or like a a black fist or whatever that you give to another black person mm-hmm. when you're not a black person. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's yeah. just, it's like the, and, and the only message, it's not a message that like the message that I receive when I see a thing like that, it's not of solidarity. It's not of, you know, allyship, 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 which is allyship, allyship. allyship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's of confusion, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's not even anger. It's not even like, even annoyance, it's more like, wait, what? What is Why? happening? Yeah. Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Just say hi. Yeah. I it's get, just uncomfortable. Get, it's like I'm at breakfast. I'm pancakes, eggs, or pancakes, bacon, whatever. And the server asked me if I want hot sauce. And I'm like, I mean, who? yes. I, I'm okay, no. I'm, I'm black. <laughs> but who puts hot sauce on pancakes? On pancakes. <laughs> right like i i understand you think okay a black man you probably want some hot sauce with his food but look at the food that i'm eating there's no chicken here there's no starches right this is my fucking pancake so i'm not putting hot sauce on. i'm not a heathen <laughs> it's just okay. so ridiculous <laughs> i have to know that i want to interview this person like what was the thought Explain it to me. Where did yeah. you think the hot sauce would go? On the bacon? <laughs> On the dry ass bacon? I mean, we, I, I, again, this, this happened probably about six years ago at a breakfast spot. I, I, I frequented and I still go to, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, but it, it just was like, what, what do you want me to do with this hot sauce? Like, I wonder if happening? he felt like he was connecting. I mean, I, again, it, the overcorrection, mm-hmm. the, it's, it's, it's almost like a, I don't know, like some sort of um, like, OK, so you could there there is interpretation here mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, this 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 nigger, of course, he wants hot sauce here. Let me <laughs> let me let me get a super sugar full of hot sauce and spray it on yeah. a nigger at my table. Like there's that <laughs> there's that. Right. But then there's also, oh, I want I, I want to make him feel comfortable. I want him. I, you know what? He, he is probably, he's probably desiring some hot sauce <laughs> with his pancakes. <laughs> so let me make sure that he has 
the proper thing that he needs to feel comfortable in this white space. He probably he's probably anxious. All these white people around him, a white server. <laughs> I'm white. So let me let me let me offer him a, a, a like a, a olive branch. Right. To let him know that I see him. Wow. <laughs> Miraculous. Yeah. I did not take the hot sauce. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, because again, who puts hot sauce on pancakes? That's right. All right. So for the person who wrote in, is it okay to use a dark skin emoji if you're not black? Uh, if you want to, but it's just weird. Like, yeah. no one's going to come to your door. No one's going to cancel you for doing this. But people will just be like, this this motherfucker's weird. <laughs> like, why are you doing this? What's wrong well, with you? We actually can't promise that you won't be canceled. Like, if you do it in a public forum, like a Slack, you know. that That is true. If you do that it at true. work, somebody might report you to HR. And that might be fair. Yeah. That, you know what? I, 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 I misspoke. I take back what I just said. Do just... It's it's too weird to continue. Just don't do it. Just because, do again, it. the question that we asked you at the beginning is why? Right. Why do you want to? And you, you need to ask yourself that. Why do you want to do it? Come on, Felix. What do you have happening? What do you have going on? Where can people find you? What's new in your world? Ooh. Um, hmm. Well, you can find me on Instagram. That's about the only, sometimes Twitter. Uh, at my name, which is C-A-M-O-N-G-H-N-E. Um, I don't have a website because apparently I'm not adult enough. Like, I just haven't gotten it together, you know? Uh-huh. It's one of those things. Uh, but I'll be working on it at some point. Um, what do I have going on? I just put out a new book a couple of months ago. Um, that has can, you been... tell us, can you tell us about, about this book? Yeah, it's called Dyscalculia. A Love Story of Epic Miscalculation. Um, it is about heartbreak, but with a sort of maximalist approach, heartbreak in every context, in the context of romance, in the context of, from, in the familial context, in the friendship context, mm-hmm. um, basically about all of the little things that break your heart and how uh, the math of all of that adds up to who you are. Um, I'm very proud of it. I love it. It's my baby. Okay. Thank you for coming through. Thank you. It was a blast. It was a pleasure. And um, I'll see you soon. Thank you. Again, I just want to thank W. Kamel Bell, Kamon Felix coming through. Great episode. I mean, every episode is great, but this, this was even greater. All of them are great. Some are greater than others. Um, also, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You know, tell a friend, tell a friend, to tell a friend. Stuck with David Young. Also, if you're on Spotify, if you're on the platform, we have these interactive polls and questions that you could go to and ask and answer and interact and do all the things that people do when they're on apps and interacting with each other. So please go and do that. Also, if you have any questions that you want to ask me and you want to exist on the show, Hit me up at DearDamon at Kroger.com. All right, y'all. See you next week. Stuck with Damon Young is hosted by me, Damon Young. Our executive producers are Kendra James, 
Our producers are Ryan Wallerson and Morgan Moody. Mixing and mastering by Sarah Gilwalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Theme music and score by Taka Yasuzawa. And special thanks to Charlotte Landis. From Gimlet and Spotify, our executive producers are Crystal Hall Stressler, Lauren Silverman, Nicole Beamster-Bauer, Neil Drumming, and Matt Schiltz. Special thanks to Leslie Guam. Follow and subscribe to Stuck on Spotify. All you have to do is hit the bell icon at the upper left section of the show page to get notifications every time an episode drops. Thank you.